Good morning. Our gospel this morning comes to us from the gospel according to John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. And I'm reading from the uh, ESV version, so it may be slightly different than the pulpit Bible. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, my wife Angela and I are so very grateful for the opportunity to be here with you again. We are members of faith, as Pastor Wilder said. We're just not here a whole lot. We travel a great deal, but we still live up here at Tramway and Comanche. And this is our church home, and it's really great to be home. There is so much uh, that we, uh, that we uh, love about Faith Lutheran, our family, not the least of which are your prayers. And uh, not just your monetary support, but uh, your, your true interest in what we're doing in ministry. We're so very grateful for the generosity initiative from Christmas Eve. Uh, but I'm also very grateful in that I, I cut my teeth here. I am a, a son of this congregation. And uh, you raised me. And I'm so very grateful. In 2006, I was still a pastoral intern and was in seminary. It's about this time, the end of, of January in, uh, in that year, that Pastor Wilder came to me and said, uh, I've talked to the church council. I had agreed to go with EEMN. I can't go, so you're going to Poland. I said, what do you mean I'm going to Poland? He said, you're going to Poland. I said, I don't even have a passport. And I probably ought to check with my wife first. And he said, you go and do that, but you're still going to Poland. <laughs> That was one of the most, most outrageous requests I'd ever heard. I, to me, Poland was this really obscure, strange country. I knew it had something to do with World War II, very fuzzy on that. But Pastor Wilder was so excited for me and for the others from Faith who went. Uh, the entire uh, uh, youth staff went as well as our uh, church council president at the time and myself. And he was so excited for us to experience and to understand what he now knew about serving in Poland because he had been there the previous year with EEMN teaching. He would send us emails and saying, you know, when you get to Krakow, you need to check out this restaurant or make sure you meet these people or you see this site. And he even met us at the airport and took us to lunch to make sure we got on the airplane. He was so excited, so excited. 
he wanted us to, to come and see and behold what God had in store for us. Even in his exuberance, I don't think he could have imagined what that trip would have done to this pastor. It's now been 13 mission seasons. And three years ago, I became director of the organization. And God has blessed us in unimaginable ways. And last year, Angela was able to, to come on staff. She left her career, and now we work together. We're able to travel together. And that's a good thing, because we're empty nesters now, and we need each other <laughs> with God. Well, Jesus saw Philip, and he beckoned him. He said, come and see. Follow me. And for some strange reason, right there, Philip got up and followed him. But along the way, he saw his friend Nathaniel, and he said, Nathaniel, come and see. We found him. We found Jesus. We found the one about whom Moses and the prophets had talked about, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And what was Nathaniel's response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So that gives you a clue that Nazareth was probably not well thought of. But Nathaniel seemed to be pretty suspect. See, in the, in the Jewish mind and their understanding of the coming Messiah, this was going to be the descendant of the conquering King David. And so they were looking for a conquering warrior in the Messiah. But this guy from Nazareth comes along, and Nathaniel voiced what most people were thinking. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The things of God will always present themselves in unmistakable ways. But very often, they are in ways that are not meeting your expectations. They are unexpected ways. And every so often, people will respond to the Lord in sudden and unexpected ways. We certainly see this in how Nathaniel responded to Jesus, but we also see that today in people who are presented with the gospel. But there's this really strange exchange between Jesus and Nathaniel, and it sounds very different to our 21st century ears. Jesus sees Nathaniel walking, and he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's saying, Who is this guy? How do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Well, what did he mean by that? That sounds very strange. We have to remember this is taking place in the desert climate of Judea. Shade was at a premium. And the fig tree with its broad leaves provided more shade than a lot of the other foliage in the area. The fig tree also evoked a sense of peace, prosperity, safety, leisure. And it was also a place popular for studying the law. And what we can surmise from this is that Nathaniel and most likely Philip were studying the law together and they were doing so under the shade of the fig tree. And as only God of the flesh can discern, he saw in Nathaniel's heart somebody who knew the law, who was searching for Messiah. And he called it like it was Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel responded, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That was a sudden and unexpected response. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense 
but we're talking about hearts. We're talking about people responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. In our first reading from Samuel 1, we saw the same unexpected and sudden response in young Samuel. It took some time because God would call him, and Samuel didn't know what he was hearing. He thought it was Eli. Eli wasn't discerning either. But after some time, and Samuel hearing audibly from God, he finally understood. And as soon as he understood, he immediately turned his life over to God and said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Your servant is listening. Wouldn't it be great if God spoke to all of us audibly? It hasn't happened to this pastor, and I wish it would sometimes. But for most of us, God speaks to us in different ways, but he does speak to each of us. I think many of us become disenchanted because God is not speaking to us in the way that we really want him to, but we need to discern that. And so God has this way of revealing his plans for you in the people that are in your lives, your family, your friends, those with whom you attend church, even a senior pastor who tells you to go to Poland. They're all part of your life. And God is trying to speak with you and and guide you and lead you in that life. But any calling from God will always be according to Scripture. And so we must discern this properly. And this happens through fervent prayer, through faithfully reading Scripture, and then having that sense of patience and listening for God's still small voice. It's paramount that we know what is God's will before we jump into it. Sometimes you and I will begin a ministry in the name of Jesus, but, and I love saying this, the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. We are approaching a ministry from the wrong aspect. For instance, feeding the hungry. So often we get focused on the food, on making sure they eat, and we tend to marginalize feeding them spiritually, reaching their souls with the gospel. The same thing with collecting clothes for the under-resourced. We focus on collecting the clothes, making sure, okay, they have pants, they have socks, they have a top, and we forget about serving the souls that are receiving those clothes. This congregation has built several Habitat for Humanity homes And often there will be somebody on the team, because the teams come from from different parts of, of Albuquerque. You'll have the people that are there, and they're so focused on building the edifice and making sure it's done. And then they can step back and say, oh, look at what I've done. It feels really good. But we must remember that we're serving someone with a purpose, that they might become transformed in their lives, being given a new life. Every Habitat home is delivered with not only a hammer so they can pass on the love, but also a Bible so they remember that they're being given a gift in Christ. Often it's not a matter of what you were doing, but why you were doing what you're doing. Last summer was our first summer doing an English Bible camp in the country of Albania. And it was a new experience for us. Albania is a culturally Muslim country. And there's one Christian congregation in a little village called Peshkopi up in northern Albania. 
And it's the only Christian church within a 75-mile radius. And we met with Pastor Eramal and said, this is what we're planning on doing. Here's the schedule for the English Bible Camp. This is what we would like you to do. We'd like you to uh, greet everyone at the beginning of the day and do an opening devotion. And the more things I kept telling him about, he started to tear up. And I thought, oh, great, I've already offended him. My first, my first day in Albania. I said, have I said something wrong? And he said, no, you don't understand. I've never been asked to be part of an American English Bible camp before. You're the first Americans who have come in and wanted me to be a part of what you're doing. He said, Pastor, I've had American mission organizations come in and do camps, but they come in with the idea of, you get out of the way, we're here now, we're going to do our thing. And so they do a great camp, the kids are having a great time, they get all the selfies, they post them on Facebook, everybody feels good, and then they go home. And Pastor Amal is left feeling empty. We had the privilege of partnering with him, and he has taken that and run with it. He's had reunions with the children, they've done a Thanksgiving celebration, a Christmas celebration in a Muslim country, and he felt empowered. Sometimes, however, we know what we're supposed to do in God's calling. We know that he's pushing us and wanting to stretch us, but we tend to make excuses. We're forever getting ready to get ready. You know God's asking you to serve him. What are you waiting for? We ask the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, if Jesus were simply a man who died on a cross at the hands of Roman guards, which was no different than any of the other 1,000 people they crucified every month throughout the Roman Empire, it was not a big deal. Jesus even walked the same path outside of Jerusalem up to Golgotha, where he was crucified with two criminals on either side. And I'm sure most people there thought he was a criminal too. And so if that were the case, then he could be seen as just a, a martyr. He would have just been another criminal crucified. He was a good spiritual teacher. He taught good things. He taught to be compassionate, to be loving, to respect one another. But he got crossways with the Jewish hierarchy, and they had him crucified. But that's not what happened, is it? He did not die a martyr. Martyrs' graves have shrines built at them. There is no shrine at Christ's grave because he was only there for three days. He resurrected on Easter Sunday. And he defeated death and the devil once and for all. This means that all of the claims were true. He is the promised Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And you and I and every person out there can know complete forgiveness of our sins and a sure and certain hope in a life everlasting. This is the good news, that everything that you and I do to proclaim the gospel must be done by what we think, what we say, what we do. It's responding to God in sudden and unexpected ways. This is why we do what we do as the church, the people of God, in order to proclaim the gospel. If what you are doing in the name of church is only going through the motions. 
coming to church faithfully every Sunday, going to Bible studies, even volunteering, studying what other people are doing and have to say about Jesus Christ. And you're studying what they're doing in response to Jesus Christ, but you are just gaining knowledge. Then you're not doing anything different from the rest of the secular world. Everybody loves knowledge. We're told that knowledge is power. But knowledge is only power if it serves to benefit those around you. In the Christian worldview, our knowledge is the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. Our power as Christians is not our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in, around, and through you. Always to bring glory to God. And that glory is having others become transformed in Jesus Christ. This is our purpose and our focus as a people of God. And our little missions organization at EEMN, we are committed to engaging people in the gospel. And because we serve in former Soviet bloc nations, we're helping them to reclaim their lives in the gospel. Many of those countries were some of the largest Christian populations in the world until the Soviets came in. And then we walk with them, walk alongside of them, so their lives are transformed in Christ. But it's never our doing. It's always in the Holy Spirit. And we do this by connecting other people to to Christians through missions. And in the summertime, we take people to do English Bible camps in really scary countries. People ask us all the time, aren't you afraid to travel over there? Quite frankly, I would be more afraid to travel to some of our larger cities here in the United States. Scary places, though, like Russia, like Ukraine, like Albania, Slovakia, and Latvia. Well, I have a question for you today. Can anything good come out of Russia or any of those other countries? I want to share a short video with you so you can meet some of these people in these obscure countries and you decide whether they're scary or not. Uh, Because of American teachers, they are very kind and wise and I like to listen to their thoughts and stories. Because people in Kondopaga don't have another chance to meet people from USA. Uh, and it's a good way to know about their culture and it's a good way to you to know about our culture. The, in the end of the day it was uh, really cool and I uh, didn't want to go home. <laughs> I like this week because um, on this week we sing songs, dance, um, learn uh, Bible stories on English language, uh, do sports, crafts, and it was an exciting week. It uh, has helped me to understand uh, my place in my life, to understand that learning um, Bible stories is very important for us. 
and to understand that um, relationship with other nations is very important too. Every year I go there, I make new friends or some new friends there from Kondopoga and American teachers also. And uh, I just like to communicate with other people because I'm shy and this helps me to get more open. You were shy. Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> the last words of Christ, Christ before he departed from this world, I mean, in the form he was at that time, uh, where go and make disciples. Go not just to, to your neighborhood, that is important also, but to, to, to the whole world, because this world was created by God, and, and God wants to take care of, of the whole world. And um, I believe that, that Christians should do it. You know, it, It's our task, because it's in the Bible, and we are obliged, you know, you know to do what, what the Lord told us. We are bound by this commission. No, no matter what situation you are, what country you are, if you feel led by the Spirit, you, you should be going, doing this. You know. Not quite what we see depicted in the news about the people over there, is it? They need Jesus too. And for many of them, most of them, the only way they hear about it is by people like you and like me going over there and telling them about Christ. And some of them respond in sudden and unexpected ways. We had the privilege of going to Albania, as I mentioned earlier. This is the first class of uh, the Albanian English Bible School that we did they look a lot like our own children, don't they? You know, geeky middle schoolers and a couple of high schoolers. Really great kids. And 90% uh, of those children are culturally Muslim. Uh, they don't know about a God who loves them. But by the end of the camp, they were singing about a God who loves them. They're singing about Jesus and encountering a whole new aspect of a relationship with God. The uh, next slide is... Uh, showing what Angela and I rarely get to do anymore, and that's to actually teach a class. And Angela was able to teach a class. These are her students from last year. Again, all of them mostly culturally Muslim. You see the young man in the green shirt standing next to Angela? Uh, his name is Ergest, and he was just as exuberant as all the other children. Uh, they taught us to dance in Albanian dance. They were playing soccer. They were singing. They were very, very excited. Well, in autumn of last year, Ergest was uh, diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. He died the week before Christmas. He'd never heard of Jesus Christ until last summer. Now, the unfortunate thing about missions is that you rarely get to see somebody respond to Christ. Every now and then, God will allow us that privilege. I have no idea how he responded to Christ. What I can tell you is that now his family, they're looking for help from the church, not financial help. They're going to Pastor Ermal and the people with whom he works and our missionaries asking for guidance, spiritual guidance, 
How do they deal with the loss of their son, with the loss of their brother? God does amazing things. Responding in sudden and unexpected ways, as we are called to do, expect the unexpected in God. But know that it's His voice. The apostles were each called by Christ, follow me. We saw Philip and Nathaniel, even though Nathaniel was suspect, he responded suddenly and unexpectedly because he knew his shepherd's voice. Young Samuel responded to God's calling. It took him three times to figure it out with Eli, but on the fourth try, he nailed it. There was a young pastoral intern who suddenly responded to a call from a senior pastor to go to Poland, and it forever changed his life. What is God's sudden and unexpected calling for you? He has a calling for each of you. Not everybody is ready to go overseas. That's not for everyone. Obviously, I'm here to preach the gospel, but also to see if some of you might consider to come and see what we're doing overseas, be a part of one of our teams. We still need team members. But not everyone's called to go on short-term missions. But I desire for you to see and experience what we have seen and experienced and how God has grown us. I'm so excited for you to experience that same thing. But most importantly, what is currently going on in your life? What is God doing in your life here and now? On what path are you currently on? What is something that you're doing right now that would open an entirely new avenue just by changing why you're doing what you're doing? How would it affect those around you? It could change people's lives in the name of Jesus Christ in profound ways. They could respond in these sudden and unexpected ways. Simply by placing the emphasis on the right syllable. This is our calling. Putting God before everything else and in everything that we think, say, and do. God has a place for you wherever you are. He's surrounded you with the people that are in your life, like it or not. And he has granted you the power of the Holy Spirit and access to the riches of his everlasting word to share with others for his purpose, that together you might become a beacon of light, of love, of compassion, that you, a child of God, are privileged to be, that you too can invite another person to to come and see. May God bless you and keep you in your calling and your discernment of his role in your life and how you are to respond to that today. Amen.